Titus. We are in Titus. We are in chapter 1. We are looking at verses 5 through 9. So if you're not already there, I'd invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to that section. If you're using one of those blue church Bibles located underneath the seat around you, you can turn in that Bible to page 998, and that'll bring you to our text. So, this is part 26. It's part 6. It's part 6, so you have no doubt figured out by now that I am not in any rush uh, to get through this section of Titus. I'm not in any rush. Uh, I go slower when I think it would serve us better to go slower. And this is one of those times, so... By the way, I forgot to say thank you, uh, Kevin and Julie. Thank you for ministering to us, helping us, <laughs> helping us worship our great God. Thank you. Thank you, Eric, for the scripture reading. I honestly could just listen to Eric. I, just, I wish he would just keep going. I think I'm going to extend the, the scripture reading time to like 30 minutes and then put him in a position where he has to preach to me because I just am so blessed. <clears throat> By him. All right, so let me read uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. <clears throat> this is why I, and that is Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then as we've been slowly working our way through, Paul now lists the criteria uh, that Titus is to use and and churches in the future would use and are still using in selecting elders for local churches. So that begins in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and again, we've covered these in detail, so we can't do that each time, but... uh, You might remember I said it would be better to understand that as a one-woman man, uh, devoted, a man devoted to his wife, faithful to her and her alone. That's the kind of man you're looking for. And his children are, the ESV translates it, believers, but I think it would be better to translate it faithful. That's how the New King James Bible translates it, faithful. And again, in previous sermons, we uh, covered these statements, so I would encourage you if you have questions about it, or you're not sure, to go back, and you can find those. They're online. So his children are faithful, I would say, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And then in verse 7, he says, for an overseer, which is another word for an elder, another description of that man in the office and his responsibilities, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And he goes on, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 
So, as I have said in one way or another, every time that we have come back to this text, and we'll try to keep saying in one way or another, the criteria that is to be used, as laid out here and also in Timothy, for choosing elders, the criteria, is more or less a description of a spiritually mature Christian, which is something every Christian should be striving to be. Yeah? Okay, I just want to make sure we're always, we should all be striving toward that, to be like Christ, to grow in godliness, to sin less. Yeah? Right? To look like Jesus. So the entire church should then aspire to be, in any way that they are not, what the elders of a church have to be. These are non-negotiable when it comes to the position of elder. They must meet these standards, every single one of them, in order to take the position of an overseer of God's precious people. Okay? So last Sunday, we spent the entire time on the matter of an elder not being a drunkard or as the NIV translates it, given to drunkenness. Now we'll pick up uh, with the next vice that would, in the list, that would disqualify a man from being an elder. And for you, church, should, it doesn't disqualify, it would disqualify a man from being an elder, but for you, as you look at it, you should say, this should not be a part of my life. This is not Christian maturity, if this is a part of my life. This needs to not be part of my life. I need to rid myself of these things. So again, it's twofold. One, you need to know what uh, the qualifications are of elders. You need to know that so that you can hold your elders accountable. And if God moves you around to another church uh, for some reason, that you would know what biblical leadership should look like. Right? Very important. Because if you have unqualified men leading you, you are in trouble. You will be in trouble. But also, as we look at this, it, it has direct application to you as you are seeking and striving to be mature in your Christianity, right? So, let's take a look at it now. Titus 1.7, this is where we left off. After drunkenness, Paul says he, the elder, must not be violent. Violent. Okay? So an elder can't be a guy that is likely to beat people up. Is that what Paul is saying? Well, not exactly. Not exactly, because I think that should be rather obvious, right? I mean, yeah, that's not the guy you want ruling over you or leading you or caring for you, but, but in some sense, uh, yes. Yes. He shouldn't be a guy that is likely to beat people up. So let's explore that a little bit. And you shouldn't be a guy or a gal that is likely to beat people up. So stick with me before you make assumptions about what I'm, I'm saying, and let's try to work through it together. I mean, when we see the word violent, right, we have probably images of our mind. And, but the, that word that's there, the Greek word underlying the English translation that we find here in the ESV, violent, that Greek word speaks of a person who is pugnacious, 
Specifically, that's what the Greek dictionaries say, pugnacious and demanding. Pugnacious and demanding. Also, words used to describe or help explain what this Greek word means in a Greek dictionary is the word bully or violent person. So we have three descriptions now to try to get at what this Greek word means. Right? Violent, pugnacious, bully. And interestingly enough, that is the words that a, a variety of English translations use. So violent is what you see in the ESV. You'll find it in the NIV. You'll find it in the NET. You'll find it in the New King James. Um, but when you think of the word violent, right, usually you think, I mean, if, we, if you just look up violent in an English dictionary, you would probably see something along this lines of a de- definition, marked by the use of usually harmful or destructive physical force. Okay? So that, we think then of a, of a physical violence, generally, because generally that, when we use that word violent or violence, that's what we're referring to. But I, I want you to focus on, I think that definition works, except that it isn't simply physical force in this case. Okay? So I would stick with harmful and destructive. Harmful and destructive is helpful when I'm thinking about this person and using maybe the word violent. Harmful and destructive, like a, like a violent storm. <laughs> harmful and destructive. Okay? The Holman Christian Standard Bible, or now the CSB, uh, translates it this way, not a bully. Not a bully. They actually use that word to translate the Greek word. So the ESV says violent, and when you think of violence, and you think of this particular Greek word here, remember harmful or destructive force, okay? But also bully is helpful in trying to understand the word. What are bullies known for? Huh? Okay, intimidation, certainly. Uh, They're mean. They're known to be mean, yeah? Now, a bully is typically not mean all the time, but he has a tendency, I mean, he may be, he's like, you know, really a committed bully, but bullies, just generally speaking, are, you just kind of know if you grew up with a bully or you were a bully. Uh, well, let me just say you grew up with a bully. If you were a bully, I hope you've repented, but if you grew up as a bu- or with a bully in school, you kind of tried to stay away from that person. Um, they would be mean, abusive, prone to hurt others. Would that be fair in describing a bully? Right? The New American Standard Bible translates the, uh, the word this way, not pugnacious. So it actually uses that word, pugnacious, which I like. So I think all of these words are helpful as we try to get at what the elder cannot be and what you, Christian child of God, should not be. Pugnacious, a bully, violent in the sense of harmful and destructive to to others. Pugnacious, you guys use that word at all in your vocabulary? 
And that's probably why you don't find it in a lot of English translations, because it's just not a common word for us. Uh, the New American Standard Bible tries to, it's a more literal translation, so it tries to stick with these words and then forces you to look them up. But pugnacious means um, eager or quick, quick, and that's what I would go with here, to fight or argue or quarrel. Okay? Quick to fight or argue or quarrel. So, one author in uh, explaining this passage and, and helping us understand what it is saying and, and focusing on that word pugnacious, says this. A pugnacious man is a fighter, a bad-tempered, irritable, out-of-control individual. Now, stop for a second. So, out-of-control, it's not, it's not like, ah! Like he's always out of control. He's just walking around. Give me someone to beat up. It's not that. But he, he, does, he does not control himself. He's out of control often in these situations that lead to him being mean, abusive, harmful, hurtful. He's quick to fight, quarrel, argue. He's out of control. He has no self-control. Or at least he doesn't exercise any. Then he goes on to say elders are often at the center of very tense situations. So he's saying this is why this is so important that Paul would draw this out, right? So a bad-tempered, pugnacious person is not going to solve issues and problems. He will, in fact, create worse explosions. It's like adding gasoline to the fire. That's what a pugnacious man will do. Because a pugnacious man will treat sheep roughly and even hurt them he cannot be one of Christ's under-shepherds, which is what an elder is, an under-shepherd. The great shepherd is Jesus Christ, and the elders are shepherding under him and shepherding his people. They are his people, his sheep. And they are called to care for them, to love them, to look out for them, to protect them, to watch over them, certainly not to hurt them and to harm them. So he says, you know, Elders are often at the center of very tense situations. I was thinking, yeah, it's like some of our elder meetings. I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, I'm joking. Eric's laughing. He found it amusing. Thank you, brother. But beloved, I mean, we, yeah, of course. I mean, elders, it's not just elder meetings. Certainly it could happen there, but it happens more just in caring for God's people and, and because we're, we're messed up. And so we find ourselves as we are are put in a position to enter into the messiness of our people, um, there can be very tense situations that we have to address and deal with. So a man who is violent, harmful, and destructive, a bully, mean, abusive, prone to hurt others, pugnacious, quick to fight or argue or quarrel, will certainly not be the right man to, be, to enter into those situations. That's not the man you want. But, beloved, um, do you ever find yourself at the center of very tense situations? I mean, is this an elder thing? I mean, certainly, we, uh, we have more opportunity, probably. We're given more opportunity because we're taking on the responsibility of caring for the precious church of God in all of their mess, right? Right? So yeah, 
and more opportunity for tense situations. But I was just thinking about my own personal life outside of, you know, the church. My goodness, do you have a family? <laughs> do you work? Like outside the home? I mean, do you, well, even inside the home, you'd have tense situations, but do you work? You're, are you out there in the world? Have you ever been in very tense situations? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, for sure. So certainly you need to think about this as well. You've probably seen, been in tense situations and maybe at least seen what a bully or a pugnacious or violent person does to those situations, right? He takes something that is not good and makes it really bad, really bad. For that matter, if you're married, I bet you have been in a number of very tense situations, So one who is quick to fight or argue or quarrel will certainly not help that marriage. Yeah? One pastor adds this important thought concerning that word, pugnacious, as we think about this and think about applying it to our own lives and certainly the elders. He says this, pugnacious can refer to verbal as well as physical fighting and quarreling. Of course, in contrast, the tongue of the wise brings healing. So you can see, one is destructive and harmful, the words of this person. This person that looks to wound and hurt others, who lacks any self-control, who doesn't care, who pushes their way around, who's quick to get into a fight, an argument, a quarrel, and then hurts the other person. You know, in James, the New Testament book of wisdom, we could say, chapter 3, that you're probably familiar with this, just thinking about our words and how we use them, and are we looking to bring healing, or are we acting like bullies? Are, are we violent in our speech toward one another? James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a forest fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I don't think the imagery is intense, intentionally. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now I thought it would be important because he says no human being can tame the tongue, so maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have any control over this thing. I mean, when it starts going, it just starts going. I mean, it says right there, no human being can tame the tongue, and yeah, it's full of deadly poison, and sometimes, you know, It splashes all over my wife or my husband or my children or my relatives or my neighbor or anybody who's around me who gets in my way or bothers me or irritates me. But one commentator concerning that phrase says this, so it's important to note it. When James says no man can tame the tongue, James is stating that no man by himself 
can subdue the tongue. That is, or this is, not to say that God cannot bring it under control. While the tongue cannot be controlled by man, the tongue of the regenerate person, what is a regenerate person? Born again, saved. New heart. Holy Spirit dwelling inside. The tongue of the regenerate person can be controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit if you will yield to him. In its natural state, the tongue is a restless evil, like a ferocious beast that will not be subdued. It is full of deadly poison, like a serpent ready to inject venom into its victim. But beloved, we're talking about here, right? We're presupposing when, we, when the criteria is laid out here in Titus, they're looking among Christian people, Christian men specifically, and so you could expect to find men who are not this because they have been born again and yielding themselves to the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. And therefore, their tongue is controlled and they are not violent and they are not pugnacious because they now have the gift of the spirit which is self-control which they're exercising yeah we can expect to find that but that is the expectation of god for every child of god not a bully not violent not harmful and destructive in any way not with their hands, not with their tongues. Not quick to fight, quick to argue, quick to get into conflicts and stir it up. So a pugnacious man, pugnacious man is, is, of course, a dangerous man to have watching over the sheep of God. But for that matter, it's a dangerous person anywhere he or she is, a pugnacious person. An elder who is pugnacious would end up hurting and wounding God's precious sheep, but a pugnacious husband wounds his wife, wounds his children. As that author said that I quoted earlier, an elder should have no part in meanness, abusiveness, or retaliation, no matter how cruelly provoked. From the parallel passage in 1 Timothy that also addresses the criteria for elders, this is added by Paul. He says there in 1 Timothy 3.3, not violent, same word being translated violent there. In contrast though, but gentle. But gentle. That word, gentle, could be defined as, that Greek word that's there, translated gentle, could be defined as having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. So on the one hand, we have violent, bully, pugnacious person. That's the tornado. (laughs) The tornado just comes in and hurts and wounds and destroys and leaves a mess in its wake. But you, Christian, and certainly for sure an elder, must not be a tornado, but rather, using the imagery that I am using, a gentle breeze. 
tornado is destructive and feared, like a bully is feared, yes. But a gentle breeze is pleasant and welcomed. Huh? And that is the kind of person that God would have you to be. Pleasant and welcomed. So an elder must be gentle, of course, but certainly that isn't only for elders, right? Right? This is not limited to them. No follower of Christ should be content to be a violent, pugnacious person, but rather every child of God should strive to be gentle, to be tender, to be kind toward others. Later in his letter, we see this. Even here in Titus, Paul says this, right? In Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them. This is written to Titus. Remind them. Who's the them? The Christians in Crete. Remind them of this. To be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. I'll save that till we get there. I mean, I'll, we'll get there someday. We'll get to this passage if the Lord doesn't come back first, but we'll get there, I hope. To speak evil of no one. And then what does he say? Now, this is to all, right? To avoid quarreling. That means not be quick to fight. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward those people who deserve it. <laughs> I did that for you, brother. Man, this is one of those alls that really messes with you. Toward all people? Yeah. Now, is this how someone would very close to you, very close to you, would describe you? Is this how they would describe you? So this is the part where you, you reflect, self-reflect a little bit. Stop thinking about your spouse who you say, man, they, I hope they're listening or someone on the other side of the church. But this is a chance for you to think about your own life, your own character, your own temperament. Would they say of you, someone who really knows you and was being honest, would they say you are not a brawler, but a peacemaker? that you are gentle and tender with others and that you strive to show complete courtesy toward all people. This is not simply good manners, folks. Rather, This is what Christ has called us to. This is what he's called us to. 
This is what following Christ and being conformed to his image or likeness looks like. (laughs) We often celebrate and rejoice in that thing that God has saved us from. Hmm? He has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from the penalty we so justly deserve. Eternal separation from him. Damnation. Punishment. Wrath. But we always must remember that God has not only saved us from something, but he has saved us to something. As my brother Eric was speaking of earlier, he has saved us to Christ, into Christ, to holiness. He has saved us that we might be like his beloved son. He has rescued us that we might no longer walk in unrighteousness and the sin that we loved and enjoyed and thought nothing about, but rather would walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, yielded to the Spirit, manifesting the fruits of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and that he has implanted in us for that very purpose. This is what we've been called to. And it takes work. It takes work. It takes intentionality. Like I said with drunkenness and how alarming it is to me that professing Christians seem like it's not that big of a deal. Well, so is this. Uh, you know, what, what is it? You know, I got, so I get stirred up once in a while. So what? So I mouth off. I mean, she knows I don't mean those things. Yes, you do. That's why you said them. You meant every single one of them. You meant to hurt. That's why you used the words you used. Not violent. Not pugnacious. Not a bully. Not mean. Not abusive. But gentle, kind, tender. To Timothy, Paul writes this, as we explore it even further. Again, to the church, have nothing to do, he says to Timothy, with foolish, ignorant controversies. But this would be read to the church as well. You know that they breed quarrels, right? You're not to have any part in that. You're not to be a brawler, a fighter. You'd be a peacemaker. And then he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But what? Yeah, see, so I, I love this. I, I, when we think about this, well, okay, what if I just shut it? I shut it and I hide in a corner. If I do that, if I don't open my mouth and I don't come out and engage, then I can restrain, I can not be quarrelsome. I won't, I mean, how could I possibly bully anyone if I'm not around anyone? <laughs> That's it. That's what I'll do. I'll become a monk <laughs> or something. I don't know. Like if I, but, or if I just withdraw, right? I don't need this headache. That's how I'll fix it. But it's never just that. It's never, okay, yeah, don't be quarrelsome. 
but it also you have to do this, be kind. Well, I have to engage, I have to be involved, I have to be out there in order to actually be kind. That's, that's the positive side, right? So not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, yeah, gentleness. God may perhaps, he says, grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Listen, beloved, even in relation to not just how we treat each other, but how we interact with the world and in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the nonsense that we do talk about and have to face and deal with, what are we called to do? Beat them down until they submit? Show them just how stupid they really are? Make a fool of them? One-up them in our debate? Nope. Not according to this. The gospel offends, for sure. Okay? It offends. It is an offensive message to a sinful world. But our conduct should not be offensive. People should not be rejecting the gospel because we're nasty people. Hmm? We are to be gentle people who speak or seek to speak the truth in love. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.15. Seek to speak the truth in love, in love. And not only to the lost, but also to our spouses, our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Always seeking to speak the truth in love. Always seeking peace. Always seeking unity. Always seeking to do good unto others. Never seeking, never wanting to be a part of being harmful or abusive or mean or retaliatory. Yeah? Oh, how we need God. Well, the next advice in the list, I have 10 minutes, I think. This clock, I'm, and the reason I'm saying this is I, have problems, I had problems earlier with this clock. I don't know if it's keeping time right. And you know I don't really keep time, but I'm trying to. I'm trying, guys, I'm trying. So it's 11... 40, 35. We're going to break. We're going to break. We'll come back to it, but you'll see the next one is greedy for gain. And to do it justice and then to flow into the next section, and the next section then is the positive. So here's the vices, okay? But then next flows the virtues. So these things should not be part of your life, the vices. These things cannot be part of an elder's life. If they are, he cannot be an elder. But then, as I said before, it's not just about don't make sure you're not doing this or not doing that, but there's also these things that you should be doing, and that's what flows next in Paul's list, the virtues, right? So the next one, vice, the last vice that we look at in this list is greedy for gain. We'll come back to that because I'm trying, I am, I'm trying to stay on time and 
But I know, I fail miserably. So I told you it's my sin. I certainly could have worse sins, I would imagine. But I do understand. So the children's ministry will be shocked when you go in there and get your children. They're going to think maybe I had a heart attack, tell them I'm fine. But I'm trying, okay? With that, beloved, let me close us in prayer. Father in heaven, we need you so bad. Sin is so destructive. So my brother said, you know, we just, we take it lightly. We assume upon grace. We, we must not do those things. For your glory, God, and our good, we must not do those things. We need to hate sin, not just in other people's lives, but in our own, wherever and however it pops up or is manifesting or bubbling to the surface. We need to hate it. We need to kill it. Father, I pray that you, through your spirit, through your word, would just continue to work in all of our hearts. Oh, how we need it. And reveal to us any way that is evil in our hearts, any way that dishonors you, any way that is destructive to those we love, destructive to our witness, destructive to our church. There's any wicked way in us, and we know there is. Father, we're so blind sometimes, help us to see it. Even in a verse like this, violent, I can imagine someone says, that's not me, but it may be. It may be. I've certainly seen it, Father, over and over again expressed in people's lives who would say they're not, and they are. They're pugnacious. They are bullies. And they name Christ. And so, Father, help us. Help us to see clearly. And then help us not to, to fall into despair or be drowned in guilt, but help us to, to see and think rightly, to thank you, God, for revealing these, these wrong ways in our heart and in our lives, for showing them to us clearly via your word and your Holy Spirit. And then giving us the hope that we have in Christ, that we no longer have to walk in darkness. You have set us free that we might serve you, and we are free to do that. Father, may we delight in these things as you show us how we are off course. May we not get all weird about it or upset about it, but run to you and thank you that you have shown us where we've gone off course and then look to you and trust in you to set us right and to help us walk down the road you would have for us, a path of righteousness. Man, we need you, God, so bad. We need you. We don't ever stop needing you. Help us to see that. Help us to look to you and help us, Father, to be intentional about rooting sin out of our lives, anything that would dishonor you, God. Help us be serious about it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.